What are you doing here? I've been thinking about this word for some time, and I pray that God would help me to, let me say it another way. I pray that God will overcome my humanity this morning, my limitations, and speak to us where we are. What are you doing here? Uh, In a minute, in a few minutes, we're going to turn to 1 Kings 19, if you want to go ahead and and be moving in that direction. Um, now, this is going to be the overstatement of the century. So brace yourselves. We are living in what could be unsettling times. Spencer, could you do me a favor? And straighten up that projector. I can't look at that thing like that this whole service. I'm sorry. Oh, that's better. Good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we are living in what could be unsettling times. 2020. Some. I hate to break it to you. I don't know that New Year's Day is going to bring a whole lot of difference. But anyway, everybody said, my mama said she'd slap me in the next year. Wish she'd go ahead and do it, you know. (laughs) And because of all the things we're dealing with, my goodness, I wrote this week for the Chronicle. I think it's this coming Wednesday that comes out. And I mentioned, as I have before, that here we are dealing with a pandemic. We're dealing with social unrest and violence. We're dealing with a political or contentious presidential election. And then we're dealing with our president being in the hospital with COVID-19. Thank God he's much better this morning and will recover. Mild, mild uh, virus with mild symptoms for the majority of people in the country. Thank God he's one of them that's going to recover. That can bring to us stress or a feeling of isolation and bewilderment abounds. If we don't let, if we don't watch it, a lot of people and probably a lot of you have had to deal with all of those things. Stress, um, man, you ought to try to navigate a congregation through a pandemic. I've looked for the book. I can't find it. I can't find the book that says, how do you do this thing? And the elders, we've tried to figure out our way and you know, we don't I don't know if we've hit a home run or not, but we've done our best. But it it causes you, if you don't watch it, it causes you to feel stressed, to feel isolated, and feel bewildered by what's going on around you. On top of the fact that we got masks and no masks, and we got people who wearing masks think that people who don't wear masks are selfish, and people who are not wearing masks think people who are wearing masks are idiots, and neither of them are right. Now, if, you, if I just made you mad, then I'm about three weeks too late. I want to tell you that we and you are not alone in these feelings, although they still remain a bad dwelling place. They are not a good place to live. This stress, this even the, the angst over all this other stuff. Hmm. 
I hope 100 years from now our legacy isn't that mask divided the church. Golly. Elijah is a guy who gives us this example. Now, I'm not going to turn, but you might want to later turn to 17 and 18 and read that. And if I get too boring, you turn today. If you're going to read the Word of God rather than listen to me, my goodness, how can I complain? Isaiah, Isaiah, Elijah just appears on the scene in chapter 17. Elijah the Tishbite. I'm sure they have something at Walgreens for that. (laughs) Elijah the Tishbite just appears on the scene. And the first thing happens is he prophesies, not going to be any rain until I say so. Thank you very much. I'm glad you showed up. You know, 2020 showed up a long time ago. Not going to be any rain. It's prophesized drought. God tells him, now I want you to go to the brook Cherith. I want you to sit there and rest. There's going to be water flowing. You're going to have, I'm going to get the ravens to come feed you. And the ravens did. Now they didn't feed him themselves. That would have been odd. They brought him meat and bread. Imagine you're sitting by a brook with nice spring water and ravens come with a platter of food for you. Meat and bread. And they did. Until they didn't. That's key. Because after a while, the brook dried up. After a while, the ravens ceased bringing him food. The brook dried up because Elijah would have never left if the ravens would have kept coming and the water would have kept flowing. Sometimes we wonder. I picked this up last week in conversation with Brother Charles. Sometimes we wonder why the brook dried up. We wonder, where are the ravens? I remember the good old days when the brook, when the ravens were still coming here and God is saying to us, that's the problem. You're still here. You're still sitting by the brook waiting for the water to flow and waiting for the ravens to come. God stopped all of that so that he would leave. We may still be looking for the miracle where the brook is dried up, but we must move on. She says, I want you to go to a widow, Zarephath. She's going to feed you. It's kind of an odd story. I'm not going to get into it, but basically he says to her, I don't, it doesn't, even though you only have enough food for you and your son, and even though you were about to have a meal so that y'all could die, I want you to give me that food. Like Kevin said, on the surface, that seems like, whoa, no wonder Elijah just appeared. But what he understands, people, what he understands, hear this, is when we give God our first and our best, what comes after that is far better than what we had. So she does, and of course she has far more food than she needs when she gets through feeding the prophet, and then her son dies, and she's mad at Elijah, why'd you show up? Why would you show up just so my son could die? And he said, where's your son? So the short, short end of that story is he raised her son from the dead and gave him back to her. And then God says, go see Ahab, his good friend Ahab, king of Israel, husband of Jezebel. Go see Ahab. 
And so he goes and finds, or Obadiah actually finds him, and he says, go tell Ahab I want to see him. And Obadiah says, in our vernacular, what have I ever done to you, Elijah? Because you know I'm going to go tell Ahab that you want to see him, and when he comes to find you, the Spirit of God is going to have taken you and put you somewhere else. He's going to be mad and kill me. Elijah says, I'll tell you what, you go get him, I'll be here. So Elijah comes, and first thing Elijah says, hey, you troublemaker. Sound like a debate we had recently. <clears throat> and, and, and Elijah said, I think you're the troublemaker for Israel. And he says, here's what's going to happen. He said, you go get your prophets. Let's meet at Mount Carmel. You'd like for it to rain, wouldn't you? And the scripture says that Ahab has sent Obadiah out to try to just find some green grass so they could feed the horses because people and animals were dying because there was no rain. And Elijah said, let's meet at Mount Carmel. Bring your, your prophets. There were 450 prophets of Baal and there were 400 prophets of Asherah. 850 false prophets. Bring them to, to Mount Carmel. Let's see what happens. Now, here's a key part of that passage. It says, Elijah said to the, what does it say? Oh, wait a minute. Elijah said to the, see, he wasn't talking to the prophets. He wasn't talking to Ahab. He was talking to the people and he said, how long? Everybody say, how long? How long will you waver between two opinions? The literal Hebrew word there for waver is limp. How long will you limp between two opinions? And he says, let's get two, two cows. Let's have a sacrifice. Here you go, guys. I'll let you go first. Put your animal on the altar and you can't start the fire, but call for Baal to start the fire. So they do. They're calling for Baal. They're jumping around the Bible again says they were limping around the altar trying to get Baal to call fire down on the sacrifice. And you know, nothing happened. Now, I don't know here, just stay with me. I don't know if Elijah got a little bit in the flesh. I don't know. But Elijah starts taunting them. Hey, guys, there's nothing happening, guys. You know, you might need to call a little louder. He gets a little gross because he says to them, you know, he may be over there in the portalette. That's exactly what he says, except he doesn't say portal that. He may be over there, you know. You know what? You need to really yell louder because he may be asleep. <laughs> I can see him laughing. Well, we know the story. Nothing happens. He said, you know, yeah, you know, they've, they've cut themselves. They've done everything they can do to get fire on their altar and nothing happens. He said, okay, y'all stand over there and watch this. So he puts the animal on the altar. He says, pour water. And they poured enough water. He had dug a trench around the altar. They put enough water on the animal. The trench was full of water. The animal was soaking wet. The wood was soaking wet. He said, now watch this. And he said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, do your thing. <laughs> burned up the sacrifice, burned up the wood. Burned up the water. Now, he didn't strike a match. And then he says, get those prophets. 
take them down to Geshen. And the Bible says in the last, uh, well, the Bible says that he killed all the prophets. You know, I bet I could use my glasses. That, that, that is really helpful. I looked at that Bible and it was so blurry. And it's a giant print. It said, Elisha brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. You know, if the Bible was made into a movie, it would be rated X just for the violence. And so he sends his servant. He said, go look and see if there's any rain coming. Nope, no rain. Go look again. No rain. Go look again. And he does that seven times. How many of us would have done it seven times? About the second time, we say, well, God, I guess you failed me this time. The seventh time, he says, I see something about the size of a man's hand off in the distance moving. He says, you go tell Ahab, it's about to start raining. You better get out of here. So Ahab takes off to Jezreel, and Elijah runs to Jezreel, 22 miles. We'll cover that later. And that's where we take up our story, 1 Kings 19, 1 If you want to stand with me while we read God's Word, I'm going to read once again from the English Standard Version. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. I hear whining in that in that statement. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So, by the way, can I tell you this? Listen up. You can never have a Jezebel unless you first have an Ahab. I'm going to say it over here. You can never have a Jezebel unless you first have an Ahab. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. We always wondered where brooms came from. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a broom tree. Behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose, ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God, which, by the way, is also Mount Sinai. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, 
he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat, of something I can't say, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there, found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was the 12th. Elijah passed by and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him, took the yoke of oxen, sacrificed them, and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. You can be seated. You don't need to see what's on Netflix. You just need to read these stories. My word. He's he's running from Jezebel. She's threatened him. And he's running for his life because he's scared. Notice it says Jezebel sent a messenger. So he runs and then he, he leaves his servant at Beersheba. So he's run. I'll, I'll come back to that a long way. And then after he leaves his servant, he goes another day into the wilderness. When we get stressed and we get isolated, feeling of isolation, when we become bewildered, we often find ourselves in the wilderness. And then he asked to die. Just let me die. I've done enough. I'm the only one. Feel sorry for myself. Poor old pitiful me. I just wish I could die. And he lay down and slept. And all of us know that is a classic sign of depression. Classic sign of being depressed is he just lay down and go to sleep, and there's even in that situation, there's a part of us that wishes we wouldn't wake up. Notice that he had, up until this point, he's responding to the messenger that came from Jezebel. She sent him a messenger and threatened him. And he's responding to this messenger. But in his moment of weakness, in his moment of depression, Stress. God's messenger shows up. An angel of the Lord. And begins to speak to him and to minister to him. God's messenger shows up and wakes him up. And says, you need to eat something. And he eats and he goes back to sleep. I don't think the angel immediately woke him the second time. I don't think that. By the way. Side note, 
Not once does God scold Elijah through this whole story. Not once. I think the angel waited a while, and then it says he awoke a second time. And he said, you need to eat this because you're going to need the strength for your journey, which was 40 days and 40 nights. I don't care how many hamburgers you eat, 40 days and 40 nights. That's a, that's a long time. Yeah, yeah. Angel food cake, I guess. I don't know. <clears throat> so he begins his journey, and, and then we, what I get to, what I call the encounter with God. The encounter with God. He, he, and it's interesting that he goes to Mount Horeb, and he goes in, he finds a cave. He goes in the cave. I, I read one commentator who said the Lord led him to the cave. I didn't see that. I just said he found, he went to Mount Horeb and found him a cave and went in it. Where do we go when we're depressed? Where did David go when he got depressed? In the cave. And this is when God says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now notice that God called Elijah by name, even though he was the only one there. But anybody else there, what are you doing here, Elijah? Can I tell you that God is a personal God? God deals with you personally. He's going to call your name. If you're the only one there, he's still going to call your name because he wants to talk to you. Verse 10 says in chapter 19, he said, same thing, I've been jealous, killed the prophets, and what we see there is that he has become disillusioned. He's become disillusioned because what he expected, he thought when he ran from Mount Carmel to Jezreel, he thought he was going to be a hero. When he got to Jezreel, he thought, man, everybody's going to celebrate this, but they didn't. And then he had to, he didn't have to, but he did run for his life. He's disillusioned because it didn't happen the way he thought it would happen. He thought he was the only one left. He said he was the only one left. He was believing the lie. How many of you sitting here today, how many of you at home are believing the lie? I'm going to give you something. I've given it to you before, but I want you to put it in your pocket. You cannot be disillusioned without first having an illusion. You cannot be disillusioned unless you first have an illusion. Unless you first believe the lie. When you believe the lie, you develop this illusion of how things are supposed to be or going to be. And when they're not that way, you get disillusioned. And so because he was believing the lie, he was feeling alone. He was feeling isolated. And God tells him, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but when I read the passage, he said, go and stand on the mount, he stayed. He stayed in the cave until the whisper came. He didn't leave the cave. God said, go stand on the mount. Best I can tell, he didn't move until the whisper came. Mount Carmel was a, to him a spectacular experience. Mount Horeb was a display of God's quiet ways, his firm ways, his stable ways. 
and he hears a low whisper, or actually in the Hebrew, it actually is a thin silence. A low whisper or a thin silence. God asked him a second time, what are you doing here, Elijah? How many of you understand that God knew where Elijah was? But God wanted Elijah to know where Elijah was. And he wasn't talking about the cave either. He was talking about a place of disillusionment and depression. And he gave him the same reply. So then he begins to identify the way out. Actually, the way out began in Beersheba when the angel told him, Arise and eat. Because let me tell you something. Let's just get practical for a minute. If you're dealing with depression and stress and things like that in your life, one of the first things you should do is to give yourself to rest and nutrition, proper nutrition. That doesn't sound very spiritual. Well, it was the angel that told him to rise and eat. That sounds pretty spiritual to me. You don't get much spiritual, more spiritual than an angel. Arise and eat. Rest and nutrition. He was physically exhausted. He was emotionally spent from the whole experience. He ran 29 miles to Jezreel only to find out that Jezebel was threatening his life. Then he ran over a hundred miles, ran to Beersheba. And then he goes 40 more days to Mount Horeb. He's physically, emotionally spent. He left Beersheba motivated by fear. He says he was afraid and he left, he ran. But he went to Horeb motivated by a flicker of faith in God and God's word. Sometimes all you can do is respond. You, you, you don't feel it. You don't see it. You don't understand it. But sometimes you just need to respond to what you know is right and God's word to you. Talking about the way out, we have to understand that God's presence is the difference maker. We were in a, our, um, a men's group this past Tuesday and, and we talked about how that Moses said to God, your presence is what distinguishes us from all the other people in the world. That's what makes us different than other people in the world is that we have God's presence. And then he said to God, and because of that, without your presence, we're not moving. We're staying right here. The still small voice is what brought him out of the cave. Remember, he stayed in the cave until he heard that whisper. And then he came out, but he says he wrapped his cloak around his face. I guess he didn't want anybody on Facebook to see him. I don't know. But he's, he came out of the cave because God's presence drew him out of the, of the cave. Mm. You don't have to be in a church meeting to be in God's presence. If the only place you experience God's presence is in a church meeting, then you are, you're missing out. You can experience God's presence anywhere and everywhere. Verse 9 says, the word of the Lord came to him. The voice of God. I'm giving you just three little sentences here. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. 
The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. Where was he? He went to the wilderness. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. Imagine that. The voice of God. So this is the same voice that he's hearing. This is the same voice that's speaking into his life in the middle of his depression. And the way out has to include the idea that he didn't realize that the threat that came to him from Jezebel was coming from an unbelieving, carnal human being who was also godless. Sometimes, we just, here we go. We must consider the voices we hear with discernment from the Holy Spirit. Don't pay too much attention to all the stuff you read and hear. We, we give too much credence to what somebody put on a social media post. My wife says something to me, and she said, this and this and this. I said, that sounds like something that come be on Facebook because it didn't sound true. I love Facebook. In, in coming out of this depression, here's something else we need to remember. He isolated himself. Everybody say isolated himself. God didn't isolate him. He isolated himself from relationships that would strengthen and encourage him. What did he do with his servant? You stay here. And he went by himself in another day. Well, yeah, if you get off by yourself and you think about it long enough and you think about all the stuff that Jezebel said to you and about you and you sit there under the broom tree and you're depressed already and you're hungry and you, yeah, you're going to be messed up. He himself indicates that he went alone, verse 4. Here's something else that is a little tricky but true. We are... The most vulnerable after a high, H-I-G-H, in the Lord or a great victory. Amen. The higher the place, the higher the victory. I heard Bob Mumford say this one time. He said, the higher you go in God, the safer you are, but the more dangerous it becomes. The higher you are in God, the higher experience that you have in God, the, the greater the victory, the more vulnerable you are to falling on your face in depression. you think it would be the opposite. But if you've ever experienced a really high, you know that it's possible. I'm going to tell you something a lot of you already know. That Mondays are the highest day of depression among what group of people? Well, I heard, I heard all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Pastors. Read, read about it. Pastors. <laughs> well, all human beings, but particularly pastors. Why is that? Why would that be? I, I, I was in a group one time and they introduced this, their speaker. I'm not going to name him because you might recognize the name. But he walked up. They said something about Mondays. He said, I resign every Monday. I quit every Monday. 
And one Monday he did. He quit. He's not pastoring today. Why is that? Why would that be? I'm just using pastors as an example, okay? Because I are one. It's because what I'm doing right now requires a certain amount of adrenaline for me to do this. I shared with this morning that Brother Charles Simpson's father-in-law was a medical doctor, and he shared with him one time that 45 minutes of public speaking is equivalent to eight hours of physical labor. And if you've never done this, believe me. So you, you pastors on Sunday, they work themselves up. I say we. We work themselves into a place that we need God's anointing. We get God's anointing, which raises our adrenaline level. And we do what we're not capable of doing because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And then on Monday, that's not there. And we have what they call post-adrenaline depression. Now, just so you understand and are okay, I don't resign every Monday. (laughs) Every other Monday, maybe, but not, no. I don't deal with great depression on Mondays, but I will tell you that Mondays are a downer once you have had that high. Thursday for Roddy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that goes without saying. If you're a pastor or someone who does something on another day of the week, there's nothing special about Mondays. So understand that when you're, when you're in that high place, guard yourself. I mean, how much higher could you get than Elijah was? He's watching these guys limp around. Nothing happens. God burns up his sacrifice in the water too, man, alive. He, he's taunting. He's carrying on. He just killed all the prophets. And the next, you know, if it was a TV show, you'd see that scene, and the next scene would be him running for his life because he's afraid of Jezebel. Here's something else to notice about the way out. God gave Elijah three new assignments. He didn't sit there and lecture him. He didn't sit there and say, you need to go for some counseling, and counseling is good. It is good, but that's not what God told him. He didn't say, why are you here, you you big idiot? He said, why are you here? I want you to understand why you're here. And here's how I'm going to get you out of it, among other ways. He gave him three new assignments. I was recently listened and watched a video with Mario Murillo. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Entitled, Will Disaster Strike America? He dealt with the issue in the video of purpose and assignment. And he dealt with the idea that too many times in the church, we're all running, we're all running around looking for our purpose. And I need to find my purpose. Well, what's your purpose? Well, I got a purpose. You got a purpose? He uses a great example of, of a young recruit who joins the Marines. And the, the, the Marine drill instructor says, why are you here? And the young Marine says, I'm here to find my purpose. And the drill instructor says to him, you have no purpose. <laughs> Only the Marine Corps has a purpose. You have an assignment Amen. to fulfill that purpose. We can't handle that today. 
we're too soft. Please don't raise your children to be soft and alive. I can't say what I just thought. But I will say this. We, and I'm not, I don't have a mouse in my pocket, so I'm including you too. We have no purpose outside the extension of God's kingdom in the earth. But you do have assignments. You do have assignments within the context of Jesus praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. That's the purpose. Your assignment has to be in that direction. Your assignment has to fit in to go and make disciples. He tells Elijah, he said, go anoint Hazael, king of Syria, anoint Jehu, king of Israel, anoint Elisha, prophet in your place. Assignments. Here, you you got to go put your hand to something. And that's because fulfillment is found in mission. It's not sitting around singing Kumbaya. I hate that song. It's in mission. Jesus said, the guy, the person that puts their hand to the plow and turns around and looks behind them is not fit for the kingdom of God. That's in red ink in your Bible, if you have a red letter Bible. What was he talking about? Mission. What is your mission? Put your hand on the plow, plow. Plant the seed. That's what your mission is. Your mission is to fulfill the purpose of God in the earth with your assignment. Now, everybody has a different plow. Everybody got a different place, a field to plow in. Fulfillment is found in mission. Or if you read the, what month is this? October, if you read the September issue, Colonels of Truth, you saw a quote from Charles Simpson that said, the happiest and healthiest people in the world are those who live for a cause beyond themselves. Or as my pastor for 16 years, Curtis Foreman said, you must go beyond yourself to find God. Elijah's mission was to anoint a new generation of leaders. He didn't know it. He didn't know that's what he was doing necessarily until he got to Elisha. What do you mean, Lord, anoint Elisha? Am I going somewhere? Is it possible that, that Elijah had gotten to the place that God, he was more useful to God in heaven than he was on earth? In other words, anyway, his mission was to anoint a new generation. But I want to point this out, that he goes and anoints Elisha. It's kind of funny how he does it. He throws his cloak on him and turns and walks away. And Elisha says, wait, let me go kiss my... He said, what are you talking about? I didn't do anything to you. Again, what is it with these Bible characters? I mean, he did. He threw his cold cloak on him. I had anything for you. What, what does he want? Well, what he wants is Elisha to want to follow him because what? Because he wants to follow him, not because he gave him his cloak. What's in? What's what's inside of a person? What what makes up who you are? The constitution of your being. Elisha was more than just his replacement. 
Remember he left his servant, went to the wilderness. God said, I'm going to give you another friend. He, Elijah is his, he was Elijah's close friend. I mean, someone smarter than me may know how long, you know, the, the relationship lasted, but we do know that it says Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing in a field. And he didn't even, he didn't say to him, I, I, I uh, sir, uh, sir, if you got a minute and you wouldn't mind me talking to you, sir, would you come with me? No. He just threw his cloak on him and walked away. Because God said, go anoint Elisha. And he said he found him plowing in a field. He was plowing, he was plowing behind 12 oxen and there were 12 groups of oxen and he was the last one. Must have been the youngest in his family. I'm sure that smelled really good. But anyway, the point of that is God designed us to live in community and friendship. I, I refer you back to last Sunday, the power of relationships, which is still on the YouTube and Facebook feed and it's also on the audio podcast you have plenty of cases or opportunities to go back and listen to it again but god designed us to live in community and friendship there are no lone rangers in the kingdom of god and you've heard me say so many times one of the nicest guys i met in this town was tom t hall you couldn't have met a nicer guy. Invited me and another guy into his office at his out by his barn. Talked to us. Said, that's the guitar. Wrote all my songs on. Tom, can I play that guitar? Yeah, man. Here, play it. So I'm playing the guitar that Tom T. Hall has written all of his songs on. Gives us a picture. It doesn't change the fact that me and Jesus is really bad theology. Me and Jesus, we got our own thing going. We don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. Bad theology. Because he designed us to live in community, so he gives him Elisha. Until that day comes, when the whirlwind comes and gathers up Elijah into the chariot, and he goes and just goes to God's side of the world. Two people that we know of, Elijah and Enoch, that that happened to. The Bible says Enoch walked with God and he was not. Somebody said they were walking together every day. And one day God looked up and said, you know, we're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come on home with me? <laughs> don't know if that's what happened with Elijah. But Elijah was gathered up into the chariot. The cloak fell. The mantle fell. Elisha said, I got to have that. It represented anointing. It wasn't just a piece of cloth. There was an anointing that he had to have. Amen. So what are we going to do? You're going to take your harp down. Take your harp down. You don't You don't have to take time to turn, but I'm going to read you. I referenced this a few weeks ago. I have it in here somewhere. Children of Israel are in Babylon. They are disillusioned. They're upset. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. 
On the willow trees there we hung up our lyres or our harps, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And when we get to that place of de- depression and disillusionment, we we proverbially speaking hang our instrument on the tree because we're not going to play it. They were exiled by their circumstances. I want to tell you that you and I, I was listening to a song this morning while I was getting ready, and it's the old hymn, Jesus Paid It All. All to Him I Owe. You see, the children of Israel in Babylon, sitting by the river, could not play their instruments because they were still captives of Babylon. You and I are not captives of anywhere. We've been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. We used to sing an old song. I don't know who wrote it. It's just my daddy used to make fun when the charismatic movement started, how that all we ever did was sing little ditties. And and he had a point. So a lot of the songs had no substance. Just sang the same thing over and over and over again. Thank God we've come a long way, baby, from that. We used to sing this song, and it's just simple words. I'm taking my harp down from the willow tree. And now I am singing the victory. My past is forgiven, and my home is in heaven. My all sorrow is gone. The victory is won, and now I am free. I'm saying to you today, if you've been dealing with that depression, uh, let's go ahead and bring the worship team up, Don. I know I didn't give you all a warning about this. If you've been dealing with depression and isolation and these thoughts, if you, if the, if the weight of all of that out there has been getting on you, I'm, I'm asking you today to take your harp down from that tree. You have no reason for it to be hanging up there. You have no reason for it still be. You have no reason to say, I'm done. I'm not going to play another song. I'm not going to hit another note because I'm done. You have no reason because Jesus paid it all and all to him we owe. Have no reason. So they're going to play a song in a minute. And you're going to have an opportunity if you need to respond to what God has said to you today, if you need to get up out of that hole and out of that cave that you've been dwelling in, and you need to walk out to the mouth of the cave and hear and respond to the to the whisper, the still, small voice of God, and you need to do it now, then here's your opportunity. That doesn't mean we're, it's not going to be a battle. That doesn't mean we're going to hear something or see something and, and we're going to have to deal with all of this stuff again. But I'm telling you, A, rest and nutrition. B, get your assignment from God. Understand who it is that's accusing you. The Bible says you do have an adversary and it's not flesh and blood. There's no Jezebel chasing you. But it's it's the accuser of the brethren. Understand that. Understand the presence of God. 
and understand that one of the ways you can get back to what you need to be doing is to put your hand back on the plow. Quit saying you can't plow anymore. Quit saying I can't do it. Quit saying, Jesus, would you hurry up and come back? Jesus is going to come back when Jesus comes back. And he said the Son of Man didn't even know when he was coming back. So leave it alone. Put your hand on the plow and accept your assignment and be on assignment. So what is it? What's my assignment? You think I know that? You and God know that. But I can promise you that this, if you're breathing this morning, and I assume all of you are, you have an assignment. I'm not saying you're going to be an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or any of the other stuff that we all think is the great, the great level of, well, I'm going to be a... No, I'm not. I'm just saying you have assignment. Everybody does. So stand. Let's worship together. And you respond however the Lord has spoken to you today from this word or any word.